This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 17, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama has announced plans to normalize relations with Cuba following a decades-long failed embargo. The historic move would mean greater trade, travel, and cultural ties for Cubans and Americans, and a chance to end the crushing poverty and oppression there. Ian Vasquez, director of the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity, offers his thoughts. In thinking about the policy changes that Obama uh, announced, it would be good to put it in, in context, the long context of U.S. relations towards Cuba. And from the very beginning of its independence, uh, the United States has had a heavy hand uh, with the, its relations with Cuba. Beginning with its independence and uh, the establishment of the Cuban Republic in 1902, remember that that's uh, the time of Teddy Roosevelt's imperialistic policies the United States was able to implement in the United States in Cuba, the famous uh, Platt Amendment that basically gave it the right to intervene in Cuban affairs and set uh, Cuban foreign policy. This created a lot of resentment among Cubans and especially among revolutionaries and radicals, of which during the first half of the 20th century there were many. One of them was Fidel Castro. And when he came to power, he was very popular, among other reasons, because he overthrew a U.S.-backed dictator. Now, his hatred toward America quickly morphed into or mutated into uh, a full-blown communism that the United States has had uh, trouble dealing with ever since and uh, which led to the U.S. embargo and many failed attempts to dislodge the regime, including the the failed Bay of Pigs invasion, which in turn led to the Cuban Missile Crisis, one of the big crises of the Cold War. What should uh, Americans expect in terms of a, a change in policy? This regime has been in power for uh, a long time. We've had an embargo for 50-plus years. What changes uh, substantially for Americans and Cubans? Well, first of all, I think uh, that the important thing is to the recognition that the embargo has failed. It has not actually led to more democratization or to to regime change. That's a first step. The second thing that I think is beneficial is that the embargo so far, if anything, has helped to strengthen uh, the Castro regime because they've been able to use it as an excuse to explain away their own failures, the failures of their terrible socialist policies which have impoverished and and created their people and created so much misery. Taking that away will take away that excuse, will clarify uh, the situation in Cuba before uh, Cubans and uh, to the whole world. So I think that that's one great benefit. And I think that uh, increasing trade and increasing um, travel uh, and interaction among, among people, especially Americans who tend to be in practice more generous than many other cultures, will in decrease the dependence of Cubans on the Cuban state precisely because uh, of that interaction and so marginally benefit uh, freedom in Cuba. And I say marginally because until and unless the Cuban regime, the Castros, uh, change their policies, then freedom is not going to significantly uh, change within Cuba. And that's not something that U.S. policy can accomplish. Back in 2009-2010, when Raul Castro took over for his ailing brother, there were some signs of life in terms of internal policy, that, uh, such as no longer telling farmers what to plant 
uh, and farms on Cuba. And I think a lot of people were pretty encouraged by that, but it seemed to just go nowhere after that. If you look back at the history of Cuba, especially after the collapse of the Soviet Union, from which it received billions of dollars in in aid every year, and so basically lived off of, of that, you see that there are episodes in, in Cuban policy where during times of crisis, during times of real need, there are these introductions of minor reforms, nothing major, minor reforms intended to pick up the economy somehow, uh, but always aimed at uh, economic changes, never uh, on the policy side, and always with the intention of uh, maintaining the firm grip uh, of the regime. So that happened in the early 90s uh, in Cuba, then it happened uh, again uh, in the last decade. As Venezuela stepped in to the USSR's role and started financing Cuba, because Cuba has always needed an outside patron, at least communist Cuba has, uh, that, that need for further reforms was lessened. Now that Venezuela is going through its own crisis and it's very clear that Cuba will not be able to depend on it, uh, it has begun introducing these minor reforms. But again, they're minor. And uh, what we know of the history of states that went from communism to the market is that if they're going to be successful, they need to be, the reforms need to be major, they need to be complementary, and they need to be sustained. And Cuba doesn't even come close to that. So while the well, there have been some reforms that have benefited a number of, of Cubans, probably hundreds of thousands of them. It's not nearly enough. It's not nearly what Cuba needs in order uh, to, to achieve uh, the kind of growth on a self-sustaining basis that successful countries achieve. Ian Vasquez directs the Cato Institute's Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity. Read more at Cato.org.